Hey, that's the music of Five Year Mission that you're hearing. Visit them at fiveyearmission.net. They are one of WBFG's all-time favorite bands. Hello, and welcome to what you might call a very special episode of WBFG, the podcast. This is what Aaron and I are calling the point fives, uh, as in episode 4.5, which is what this is. Um, but we want to have people share their writing, their stories about maybe growing up geek. And so this is the first one. I will kick it off because... I'm self-centered, and it's my podcast, and I can do what I want. Uh, This is from my thesis from graduate school. The book at that time was titled Growing Up Weird. This is one of the first essays that appears in the book. I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, in a tiny Indiana town called Amo that was surrounded by miles of cornfields and soybeans. My father was a guard and eventually a release coordinator at the prison that housed Mike Tyson. I had three older sisters who busied themselves taping Friday night videos on VHS and testing the hair heights that only Aquanet could help them achieve. It was all fairly normal. Very slice of American 1980s Reagan-infused apple pie. Except for one part. The part about what my mother did for a living. Running a singing telegram business out of our home. I can only imagine what it was like being one of our neighbors. Watching the endless parade of characters sashay out the front door. Hey, there goes Lisa Brown again, dressed as a gorilla, a chicken, a clown, a dancing Christmas tree, Carmen Miranda, a bag lady, a tap dancing cockroach, and the list goes on and on. You get the idea. For the most part, the people of our little town of Amo had not only learned to live with this, but they embraced it. And by embraced, I mean that they politely left it out of most of our conversations at the post office and the general store. When one of my sisters or I bopped over to the neighbors to borrow an egg or a cup of sugar, nobody mentioned that mom might have left the house earlier that day in her belly dancing costume and plush purple robe with her stage name, Asmara, written in glitter on the back. For the record, the robe with the glitter was supposed to make mom stand out less when she was on the way to a gig. Not that it did much good. You see, mom was about as subtle as the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. Between the many variations of wigs, stage makeup, beaded headdresses, and the giant rectangular boombox she hauled around on her shoulder, the efforts of the modesty robe, as she called it, were pretty much a lost cause. I loved what my mother did for a living. As a kid, it made me kith and kin to the show business I loved so much, as if all entertainers were connected by a fraternal bond, and mom's endless creativity made Jim Henson and Steven Spielberg sort of like my uncles. I loved it until third grade when she unceremoniously announced to me one day that my elementary school had hired her to come and do a singing telegram for our principal on his 40th birthday, in front of the entire school, during a convocation in the gym. She would be doing a character she called the Old Old Courier, one of her most popular. It was the standard singing telegram bellhop uniform, only she also donned a long gray wig, made her face up with grease paint wrinkles, and blacked out several of her teeth. She was the harbinger of old age incarnate, People hired her to escort their loved ones over the hill when they turned 40. Her grand entrance to whatever party was being thrown was to come skulking in like a grumpy Groucho Marx, playing an off-key, off-tempo reveille on the trumpet, and then forcing the honoree into a wheelchair for the rest of her performance. I had watched her do it at a hundred other parties in parks and smoky rotary clubs and community buildings. My sisters had warned me, this day was coming. Someday, all the balloon animals and awesome Halloween costumes that came straight out of mom's closet wouldn't be enough to make up for the embarrassment that would someday befall me. 
They told it like it was a ghost story or some bizarre and foreign fact of life I couldn't yet grasp, like shaving your legs or needing a bra. I heard, but I didn't understand. I never believed them because I had no context. Now, now it was a context-a-thon, a world of context. My principal's birthday was fast approaching. My teacher stopped me on the way out to recess one day, grabbing my shoulder and giving me a start like I was in a horror movie. I heard your mom is going to come and do a little thing for the school. Won't that be fun for you? She asked. It echoed in my head as I went to hide under the curly slide and work up a plan. Won't that be fun for you? Uh, no. No, I thought. It will be risky and nerve-wracking because my attempts at coolness had been drastically backfiring as of late. Third grade marked the year that I first got glasses. Giant pink and purple frames that looked like Janine's from Ghostbusters. Only I thought mine were cooler because mine had a unicorn decal in the lower left corner. They were so big, they earned me the name Six Eyes. Yes, third grade was the year I thought it would be a great idea to try hammer pants. The year a bike wreck destroyed my front teeth, giving me a set of chompers that would have made Gollum recoil in horror and politely suggest braces. In the space of a few months, I went from normal and unassuming, with the worst of my qualities being the slightly uneven and very thick Vulcan bangs I always beg mom to cut, to being a full-blown nerd. I didn't know if I could survive another embarrassment before I'd have to be sent off to Mrs. Flappenstance's wayward boarding school for the terminally lame. I didn't talk to mom about this. I didn't want to hurt her feelings. Instead, I formulated what was surely a foolproof plan. I masterminded that the day of the convocation, I could feign sickness. I was kind of a weakling anyway, you know, kind of like spindly and boyish, so nobody would doubt it. I was the kind of kid that was just ripe for some rare blood disorder or random allergy attack. The only thing I could do in gym class was outlast all the other kids in dodgeball probably because I was getting really good at running away. Nobody would suspect that my sudden illness wasn't real. It would get me out of being there for the telegram, and it would save my mom's feelings. Of course, I still thought she was brilliant. She was Carol Burnett part two, but I was worried that my classmates wouldn't get her jokes. Most of all, I was afraid that mom would have an off day, that she wouldn't be funny, that I would be there to witness it, and that she would think I was disappointed in her. This feeling of self-consciousness was actually fairly new to me, having just started to develop my burgeoning geekdom. Not only was I raised to believe that being different was something to strive for and be proud of, but this was the era of Mayam Bialik on Blossom, and Quirky was supposed to be cool. But those of us who lived it, we knew better. Quirky was getting cornered by the third-grade chick-click equivalent of a biker gang in the girls' bathroom at school while they tried to convince you to jam their homemade paperclip retainer into your mouth to fix your gnarly teeth. And all the flowered denim hats in the world couldn't save you. And I would know because I totally tried all of them. I was forever trying to adopt whatever I saw in TV shows and movies that I thought might be cool, but that's another trauma for another day. At last, the principal's birthday arrived. Mom bought my clever little ruse. I'm sick, I claimed, ready to stick a thermometer in the toaster to fake a fever if I had to. Okay, honey, you want some cereal? It was easy. As they say, it was a little too easy. I watched her apply her stage makeup in the bathroom mirror a few hours later. 
Watching her prep for a gig was one of my most favorite things in the world. Her transformations were magical. There was nothing cheap or bland about what she did. All of her costumes were homemade, her makeup well-researched, her jokes original. She wasn't a pale imitation of something she saw on TV or someone else's character. She was a real comedian. Just as funny as any of the other funny ladies on TV or in the movies that I watched way too much of. Instead, Mom chose us, her family, the Midwest, regular life. I thought that through many times as a kid. Mom was the real deal, could have done anything and gone anywhere, but she chose us. I was musing on all this when she broke the silence as her grease paint pencil finished its last wrinkle. I need you to come with me so you can hold the balloons, okay, sweetie? I smiled and nodded and went to fetch the balloon bouquet bobbing against the living room ceiling as the adrenaline rush of panic fully set in. Because I had to carry on the appearance of the sickness, not just for mom, but for the teachers who would now see me at school, I had to stay in my pajamas. My little mermaid pajamas. As we drove to the school, I contemplated jumping from the car. A scenario I had run over many, many times in my mind as I prepared for what I was sure would be my inevitable kidnapping someday. I had a plan for every eventuality, running my family through fire drills, stockpiling canned food, and several crucial stuffed animals in the basement in case of a tornado. I was always ready for an emergency, and this felt like an emergency. We arrived at the school. I then contemplated running off into the distance and never returning like Yellow Dog from Funny Farm. We walked into the lobby. I could hear the roar of the kids gathered in the nearby gym. My teacher greeted us at the door. They were so taken with my mom's costume that they hardly noticed me. I just sort of floated in behind them as they discussed final plans. The principal still didn't know what was coming. He thought it was going to be one of those polite little cakes rolled in on a cart or something. He didn't know my mother was about to sit him down in a wheelchair and go all Joan Rivers on him. In that moment, I was comforted because nobody had seemed to notice me so far. We reached the door to the gym, one that opened up right underneath the basketball goal. My mom would use it like it was a stage door. The kids were getting louder, all hyped up on being out of class for a special event. They were probably expecting a motivational speaker or a squad of jump ropers or some guy who rips phone books in half, not an 80-year-old bellhop with a trumpet. I started to feel sorry for my mom. Nobody was going to laugh. I wanted to be anywhere but here. Mom readied herself, tugging at the bottom of her uniform bringing the trumpet to her lips. I tried to pass the balloons off to her, but she was already in the zone, too busy to notice. I tried to hand them to the teacher. She wasn't paying attention. Somebody, anybody, take these things. Then mom went flying into the gym, gliding like Groucho in those long, stable steps. My teacher grabbed me by the shoulders, leaned down and said, oh, I'm sure you'll want to see this. And she shoved me through the door, effectively thrusting me on stage with my mother. With my unbrushed hair and my pajamas and my golem teeth and my Janine glasses. It was like a living nightmare. Any hopes I had of diverting attention away from myself, I thought, were probably thwarted by the giant bouquet of multicolored balloons floating over my head. They were like an arrow saying, look at the dork, look at the dork. I stared into the loaded bleachers, into the collage of pink sweatshirts and blue jeans and dirty hands. And none of them were looking at me. Their eyes were glued to mom. She was immediately, in comedy terms, killing it. There was uproarious laughter. Everyone was trying to stand to get a better look at what was happening. Even the teachers were so enamored of this moment that they didn't even care about keeping the kids seated. My principal's face was red, like medical problem red. 
but he was smiling wider than I had ever seen him smile. Smiling more than a man in charge of a building full of corduroy-pantsed paste-eaters should probably be capable of smiling. The old, old courier stopped blowing the trumpet and stared into the crowd, holding her hand over her eyes like she was looking for someone and jutting out her lower jaw, glaring at the kids. I think they would have laughed all day if she hadn't held her hands up like some great orator and made the sit-down motion by holding her arms straight out in front of her and pressing them down slowly. Hundreds of kids were completely in her thrall. They all sat down and settled in, their volume continually lowering in hushed tones, many of them jabbing their neighbors with elbows or fingers as if to say, this is going to be good. My mother, all four feet, 11 inches of her, was more than enough to hold the attention of everyone in the room. So much so that nobody ever even mentioned my pajamas. And that was me pretending like I'm on national public radio. So if you have a story that you're interested in sharing or recording, if you want to talk about your origins, your life growing up geek, we want to invite you, read your essay, record it, send it to us, and there's a chance we will post it as our point five, and we will be posting these probably about every Friday. Until next Tuesday, see you guys. Bye.